Having spent the past four decades immersed in the music business, John Oates' passion for music has never wavered. Since the heyday of Holland Oates, he has continually discovered new musical avenues to explore, including his latest solo release, Good Road to Follow, which was assembled as a collection of three EPs and features collaborations with Vince Gill, Hot Shell Ray, Ryan Tedder of One Republic, and the legendary Jerry Douglas. And if that's not enough, he and Daryl Hall have recently been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Inside Music Cast welcomes back John Oates. Hey, John, thanks for hanging out with us again. Thank you. Great, great to be back. Hey, you know, it's been a couple of uh, years since we last spoke to you, and, and when we did, uh, you had just completed your last solo project, Mississippi Mile. And, right. you know, since that time, you've been, you know, you've been incredibly busy, especially recently with the release of your latest solo project, Good Road to Follow, and as well as your induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, before we dive into these topics, uh, Here's the most important question. Have you had any time to take a breather? Yeah, I, you know, I do occasionally. But uh, honestly, I'm, I'm really happy to be working. I, I enjoy working. Um, I enjoy being busy. I, I really like it. It keeps me going. And um, it's always fun, you know. You have to remember that what I do for a living is kind of what most people dream about. So yeah, I, uh, yeah. I have no problem uh, doing it 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's start with uh, your, your recently released solo project, Good Road to Follow. And, you know, many of the tracks in this album were, I guess, originally to be, uh, intended to be released as digital singles. Is that right? Yeah, it, it, was a, it was a project that was really started that way. And, uh-huh. and it, it took about a year and a half, a little, actually a little longer, because I never really, you know, at, at first there was no intention of making an album. I just wanted to get some new... I had some original song ideas. There were some people I wanted to work with, and I thought, let me just get in the studio, and you know, I won't, you know, let, let me just make a make a song and see what yeah. happens. Yeah. And that's how it started. Uh, so it was uh, it was done in a very casual way, and then as the songs began to, you know, as begin to amass this group of songs, uh, other people got them, jumped on board. Uh, met people who who were interested in the project, and they wanted to be part of it. And then it took on a whole other thing, and eventually yeah. it became an album. Yeah, and like you said, this essentially is an album that's not, it wasn't technically an album in the traditional sense. It's, I think as I described, or as you described it, as I read, it's actually three EPs, which you refer to as Roots 1, 2, and 3, you know, each yeah. each root being a different genre of music, right? Well, you know, that was the thing. When you start out uh, with, with the idea of doing singles, there's no, you know, you don't have to worry about style and consistency and things like that that you would when you're making an album. You know, you want you want an album to have the same vibe and the same flow and all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with this particular project, I, I wasn't thinking about that. So as, as, I, as it began to, you know, as I began to get all these songs together, I realized that I had gone in a lot of different directions, and when I tried to put them together as an album, you know, it didn't necessarily flow together. So that's why I, I came up with the idea of three five-song EPs. And mm-hmm. it's a bit, you know, a bit complicated, but... Uh, you know, it could have all gone on one disc, but I just thought it was cooler to put it on three discs. Yeah. You know, there's a school of thought that the, the business model of an album, you know, is on the way out, that people just, you know, want to pick and choose the songs that they you know, they want to purchase and download. But, you know, your project, this project is proof that a single is just an appetizer. And, and you know, you were, you, I think as I heard pe- you mention in another interview that people were expecting more. They were asking you, you know, when is the full album coming out? Well, that's right. I mean, I, I originally thought maybe this concept of putting out singles, uh, you know, every month or so, which I did for about five or five months, uh, I thought that would be cool because people would just grab each single separately and, and add, yeah. add them to their personal playlist, uh-huh. uh, like you described. Um, but really, a lot, I think a lot of my fans are older, and I think they yeah. like the idea of an album. I think they, 
they they want to hear a piece of you know music uh, you know a selection of music that has a like like I said has a vibe and a flow and so that's when I started to assemble it really it was social media uh, requests that made me think about uh, putting this together as an album yeah yeah. Yeah, and in talking about that, the you know the flow that you're talking about, you know, compared to Mississippi Mile, this album it takes a little uh, a few you know a few different directions, um, right down to the structure of the songs and your collaborations. Uh, um, though this album you know has spawned from individual songs, it still has that cohesive feel to it. You know, is that what you're talking about there? Yeah, well, you know, Mississippi Mile, I think was a, was a kind of a prototype for for what I did on Good Road to Follow. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened, you know, Mississippi Mile was basically an album of covers and, and songs that were kind of influential to me when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. But by doing that, I got back in touch with my, my, my personal roots. And when I say my personal roots, the stuff that I played before I met Daryl, the stuff that I was into as a, as a little kid, yeah. that kind of made me want to be a guitar player. That's what Mississippi Mile did for me. But then when I started, you know, and since it was mostly other people's songs, like Chuck Berry and Curtis Mayfield and mm-hmm. Mississippi John Hurt and people like that, um, that really put me back in touch with that that style and and the thing that I loved so much as a kid. And for this album, I wanted to kind of carry over the feeling of that, yeah. but I wanted to get back into my more more pop sensibility. Mm-hmm. So it's really a combination of of the, my old roots and a little bit more of a pop you know pop approach. Sure. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about John a little bit about the collaborations on this album. You know, the opening track, Stone Cold Love is a track that you wrote and produced with uh, Ryan Tedder from One Republic. Now, first, yeah. of all, now, first of all, how did you and Ryan uh, first connect and tell us how this track came together in just uh, a few hours? Well, I, I, met, I met his band uh, in, in the uh, airport going from Nashville to Denver, and yeah. uh, we were on our way home for Christmas. And, uh, and they, uh, they were doing a benefit show in Denver, and they asked me if I would, would come to Denver and play in the benefit show, and uh, I, I did, and... Um, then I met Ryan and told him the project about the project I was doing. Asked him if he want, you know, might want to jump on board, and he said he, he liked the idea. He said, he, you know, the guy is super busy. I mean, he's you talk about busy, he's really <laughs> busy. And he said, man, it's just about putting our schedules together, and that's what we did. We kept playing, uh, you know, email tag for for quite a while, mm-hmm. and uh, we finally found a day where he was free and I was in Colorado, and I went to his house in Denver. Um, and uh, he he told me literally, and he, he he you know he was very straightforward. He said, "I got four and a half hours. Let's see what we can do." <laughs> and we literally wrote a song, produced it, and completed it in four and a half hours. It was wow. pretty amazing. <laughs> Holy uh, cow! He, you know, he did most of the programming. He did all the programming, and um, I played guitar and sang, and that was it. That's the whole song with him programming a bunch of cool you know drums and, and yeah. really cool sounds, and me playing two basically uh, a rhythm guitar part and a lead part and singing. And then he put the hand claps and put hand claps on it, and that was pretty much the whole song. <laughs> so it, was an, wow. it was an amazing experience. He, I think he, even he was surprised. He yeah. said, I usually work on songs for like three four weeks at a time. He goes, I can't believe we did this in one day. I said, man, if you like it, I'm putting it out. He goes, yeah, it's, he loved it. So, uh, so it was really cool. It makes you want to put deadlines on every song you write, huh? <laughs> well, sometimes, yeah, sometimes when you have that, you know, you really uh, you got to step up. It, it, it was a, it was. I didn't feel the pressure. It wasn't a pressure situation. It was yeah. just, Hey, I knew he had a certain amount of time, and if it would, you know, you take a swing, and if sometimes you hit it out of the park, and sometimes <laughs> you, you know, you strike out. So in this case, we, we, I think we hit one out of the park. So. Very cool. Hey, John. While we're on the topic of talking about your collaboration with Ryan Tedder, uh, let's pause for a second and let's check out this track that you. You guys uh, put together, and this is called Stone Cold Love. 
from our guest today, John Oates on Inside Music Cast. We're going to do a song that you never played before. also connected with Hot Shell Ray on the track High Maintenance and you know I, I listen to that track and you can really hear their influence on this track especially in some of the synth and, and instrumentation used and you know thinking about these connections with these younger pop artists I, and I think it's cool to see a veteran like you willing to realize and collaborate with these you know younger talent and so many music industry veterans are so quick to disregard what's happening you know like in this modern music phase this pop phase that we're going through now but but you know and that often dismisses some great talent out there for sure well you know i've known i've known uh, ryan and, and jamie Palsay since they've been uh, you know 10 years old uh-huh. um, i wrote songs with their dad back in the 90s cool um, so you know we've known each other for so long, and uh, that's cool. We got together, and uh, I really, you know, I really, you know, they're amazingly talented. But you know, with Nashville Street, it's just a great band, and I wanted to tap into their modern pop, you know, style, and they wanted to tap into my old school pop style. So it was kind of we really we both uh, we both got got benefit out of it. Uh, like for instance, you know, I wanted them to do the programming and really approach it the way they'd make a record, like right now in 2013 or whatever when we did it. And they wanted to tap into how I made the old records in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so we really blended it, and we brought in saxophone and and uh, trumpet, and they played live in the studio. And those guys had never done that; they had never had like 
live musicians playing horns. Um, you know, we did stuff that I, you know, that I, in the style that I would have done back in the day with Daryl, and we did a lot of the programming and stuff that, that uh, you know, the way they do their thing. So it really is a blending of, of two kind of generations of pop music. Yeah. You know, isn't it funny how the how how some of the new music right now, John, is it really incorporates? I mean, it weaves in. I mean, old school. I mean, old school is hot. I mean, you see Mayor Hawthorne and the stuff that they're doing. That stuff straight out of the you know seventies and eighties and that type of thing. And and it's just it's just hot. You know. Well, you know, there was a, there was a golden age of pop music, and it's starting from the sixties through the eighties, and. Yeah. Uh, honestly, it's pretty hard to beat. Uh, there, you know, yeah, you know, if you go back to the '60s, it was pretty organic, and it was great players. You know, the Motown, the stuff that was going on, Philly stuff that was going on. Then, then you go up to the '70s, and it got a little bit more kind of, a little bit more modern, and a little bit more uh, maybe psychedelic. And then you get into the '80s, and it was full-out synths, and and the beginnings of digital recording was was, was just kind of in, in, in its infancy. So. There's a real interesting period of time, and I think the younger performers of today, they realize that they, you know, they missed that time, and yeah. they really like it, and they like what was going on. So they, they use it as a jumping-off point to create their own modern, you know, their modern version of it. And, uh, and that's really what, how pop music goes, you know. You, you build on, on the stuff that you liked when you were young, and the same with me. I mean, Mississippi Miles is a perfect example. I, I did that album based on, on the stuff that I liked as a little kid in the yeah. 50s and the early yeah. 60s, so... Um, that's what pop music is all about. Modern artists taking influences from the past and reimagining them for, the, for, for what they are, for who they are today. Yeah. Well, speaking of amazing talents like, like Ryan, uh, you spoke of just a couple seconds ago, you also collaborated with Jerry Douglas on a track that's called uh, The Head That Wears the Crown. Now, this is yeah. a neat, it's a neat song. It's a neat track. And, and you can definitely hear Je- Jerry's presence on this track. Um, yep. in, in fact, it sort of harkens back to Mississippi Mile to a degree. Wouldn't you agree? Well, Jerry played on Mississippi Mile okay. a lot. Okay. Uh, and I just love Jerry. I mean, Jerry and I had become friends, and I, I got the chance to tour with him, and uh, we recorded together. And this was the first time that we'd actually gone in the studio and made a record. And we've been talking about it for years. Yeah. Uh, but it had to be the right thing. And I had this set of lyrics that I, I really liked, the, the lyrics for Head to Wear the Crown, because I just thought they were a powerful, pretty powerful lyric. And um, I, I couldn't come up with the right music for it. I, I really tried a few mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jerry and I had dinner one night, and I, I began, you know, I talked to him about uh, the project and also about this particular, these lyrics that I had. And he said, why don't you just send them to me without any music, and, and I'll see what, what, you know, maybe what, some thoughts, you know. Yeah. And that's what I did. So he kind of thought about it for a while. We got together, and we wrote the song in a, in a you know, in an afternoon. And uh, it was interesting, because I wanted him to bring out kind of his Americana side, and he wanted to bring out my Hall and Oates kind of pop side. Right. And I yeah. think that song, that song is a real blending of yeah. Americana and, and pop. Uh, there's, you know, he wanted, he wanted those kind of Philly chord changes, which I, which I threw in there, and I wanted his real, you know, cool lap steel slide thing that he does. And mm-hmm. uh, together, I mean, it really, it, you know, we assembled an amazing band for that track as well. Yeah. Well, there's an amazing band on every track, but... Yeah. Uh, you know, it was just a really cool. That was the last song that was recorded for the whole project. Yeah, and then you add uh, Wendy Moten into the mix, and she's just yeah, has has yeah. an amazing soulful voice, and that adds another element to it. Yeah, Wendy. Wendy uh, has been uh, she's all, she's all over the album in various tracks, uh, mm-hmm. Save Me and uh, 
you know, just all, all kinds of really cool things that she's done, and Becca Bramlett as well. Yeah. Um, I just love, I love singing with female singers. Um, there's something about the sound of, of their voice with mine that seems to really work really well. Yeah, well, it absolutely did on that track, that's for sure. Hey, you know, one other collaboration that we can't ignore is uh, your collaboration with Vince Gill on the track Don't Cross Me Wrong. And, and from what I understand, the song was also created and recorded in, I think, a single day. So tell us about working with Vince and how you managed to k- uh, kick this track out in a day. Well, uh, you know, Vince, here again, Vince and I have known each other for a while, but we've never had the opportunity to work together. Yeah. And, uh, he was very high on my list, you know, uh, when, when this thing started to happen. And, I, you know, I was with him one day, uh, so I, I, I can't remember where, and I told him what I was doing. And he said, you know, he said something very insightful. You know, he said, hey, man, we, he said, if we can write a good song together, we'll record it. And it was simple as that. Yeah. I said, hey, that's the, that's the yardstick, man. Let's do what we can do. <laughs> and uh, he invited me over one afternoon, and I went to his house. We sat in the living room with two guitars, and I had a title, Don't Cross Me Wrong, and I thought it would be a great place to start. And he looked at me and said, man, I like that title. He goes, it sounds like a badass blues. Let's, <laughs> let's go for a badass blues. And I said, let's do it. And we wrote the song in a couple hours. Uh, and at the end of the writing session, you know, we had had a bite to eat, and I said, "Well, what do you think, man? Does it make the cut?" And he said, "Yep." He goes, "Let's record it," and we recorded it at his house. It uh-huh. was a home studio in yeah. his living room, and uh, we assembled here again. Assembled an incredible band, uh, and then interestingly enough, he didn't want to play guitar on it. He wanted uh, to bring in this guy Colin Linden for slide and Tom Bukovac and myself. So the three guitars on it, and Vince just wanted to kind of produce. And uh, then we brought in Becca Bramlett at the end of the day, and that's Vince, Becca, and I singing around one mic, and that's totally live, that oh, background wow. part. And then at the end of the, finally, at the end of the end of the day, uh, we looked at each other and we said, hey, man, nobody played a solo. I said, Vince, come on, man, pick up your guitar and play a solo. You got to do this. <laughs> and, he said, and he said, okay, and he literally just burned that solo. Nice. Like, I mean, it was, he was on fire, and he's, he's such an incredible singer and guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, here again, it was all very organic and natural. Everything that happened on this record was just just really, it was never a struggle, you know. Uh, we never got to that point where we were banging our heads against the wall. How are we going to do this? If it didn't feel right, we just moved on. And luckily for me, um, everything just seemed to have a flow and a, and a magic to it. Well, hey, John, uh, we want to stop for a brief pause, and let's check out this track that you collaborated on with Finn Skill, and this is called Don't Cross Me Wrong.
had such great success with Hall & Oates and you, you know you did that like you mentioned a minute ago kind of in that golden age of, of pop in a time when you know releasing albums was actually a, a, a really fruitful endeavor so I was just curious about what your outlook is on making music in today's music industry where record companies aren't really what they once were and in many cases you know you're fending for yourself and you essentially have to tour in order to make money well, you're right. You're, you hit the nail on the head. It's a dismal environment for records. Uh, I think the you know making records and making CDs at this point almost has become more of a marketing tool for your brand than it is for an actual product as, as selling music. Selling music is is really if you're thinking that you're going to make make a living selling music, I think you're really uh, 
you're, you're, you're dis- disillusioned yeah. because it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but what it does do is it brings people to shows. Mm-hmm. It, it gives you PR. It gives you an awareness in the world. Um, and so I've really almost come to, to, to accept the fact that the CD is almost like a, like a calling card. It's yeah. like, hey, I made this great music. Check it out. But, you know, come see me play live. Right. Like, luckily for Daryl and I, we have an amazing band and we have a built-in following. Yeah. Uh, what I feel what I feel bad for is younger artists who don't have that built-in following, mm-hmm. um, who have to really struggle to get out there uh, because there really is no other way of, of you know, of becoming, uh, becoming popular with people unless you play live. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hey, John, we'd like to congratulate you on your induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Daryl and on April, uh, April 10th. And... Yeah. Um, you know, I think you and Daryl had been uh, eligible for uh, for this honor since 1997. So it wasn't really a matter of if you were going to get in, but sort of when, you know. <laughs> but but now that it's over, uh, tell us your feelings on it. Some guys are uh, uh, have, you know, different opinions on being inducted. What are yours? Well, you know, it feels like a, almost like a lifetime achievement award. Yeah. But, you know, the fact that we're not even close to being done, <laughs> You're right, right. you know, it, it kind of feels a little strange to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know what, I, I just think it's one of those things where, you know, if you really think about uh, popular music, world, you know, American popular music and, and rock and roll that's, that comes from the rest of the world, it's too big to be contained under one roof in a museum. Um it's too big to be contained in one award show or yeah. 20 or 30 award shows. Um, that's the problem with the whole concept, is, yeah. is that rock and roll is a, is a very broad, you know, popular music is just so broad. And where do you draw the line? You know, you, you can't draw the line with a committee, a committee of, you know, 15 guys sitting in a room. Their personal opinions about who's, who's worthy and who's not, <laughs> to me, means absolutely nothing. Right. Yeah. So... That's where the problem is, right there. Mm-hmm. It's an inherent problem. It's not a you know a thing. So it's it's really it's an award show based on people's personal opinions of a small group of people. Yeah, yeah. it's not the whole world, you know, deciding. So exactly. I think they've opened it up now to the public, so it's become a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more broad and a little bit more fair. But in the end, you know, there's all these amazing artists who have been overlooked and and. You know where you know. How do you address that? You know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm glad we're in. It's cool. We're we're in, and that's a great thing. Uh, you know, it's it's part of our legacy now, and that's fantastic. Yeah. And I'm happy. Uh, but other than that, you know, time marches on, and I'm I'm just more interested in what's going to happen tomorrow, not not what happened yesterday. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, as a footnote, it's it's good to be in good company because those that were in the induction class along with you were Peter Gabriel, Kiss, Nirvana. Linda Ronstadt, bless her soul, Cat Stevens, and the E Street Band. So you were in very good company that evening. Oh, absolutely. The company was fantastic. It was a great class, uh, and they're all very worthy. Uh, you know, people are very worthy of being in. It's just very cool. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, but like I said, I really don't look. I don't look back. You know, the April tenth was what two weeks ago. That's two weeks ago. Uh, yeah. I'm already, I'm already moving forward. <laughs> that's you know? right. But uh, that's how I am as a person, and, I, and, uh, and uh, you know, that's just how it is. Well, the ceremony is going to be broadcast here in the States on HBO, I think, on May 31st. And uh, yeah. so I can't wait to, to check that out. I'm, I'm sure it was a pretty amazing evening. And, you know, I had heard um, that there was supposed to be some kind of a jam at the end of the ceremony. But uh, I, but apparently the E Street Band speeches went so long that they had to cut cut the jam out. Is that right? Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> band, uh, took up a lot of evening. Um, it was one of those things, you know. They 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 had they had something to say and they said it. Yeah. Um, 
And then by the time we, you know, we were second to last. Uh-huh. And we actually, we actually followed the E Street Band. So by the time <laughs> the E Street Band was done and we got to, to be inducted and play, we went straight back to the press room, which is what you do after you get your yeah. award. You, you go into the press room, mm-hmm. and we did a series of interviews. And by the time we did our series of interviews, the whole show was over. So oh that's just how the evening went, and so be it, you know. Wow. Well, I think when we last spoke to you a couple of years ago, we discussed the uh, 7908 Aspen Songwriters Festival at the Wheeler Opera House in Aspen. And, uh, you know, the festival took a break, I think, in 2013. But I'm curious to know, did it happen here in 2014, or is it still kind of on no, hiatus? No, we did take a break. We took a, put it on hiatus. Um, uh, the city of Aspen was a, a co-sponsor of the event, and uh-huh. uh, they, they wanted to, um, you know, stop it. Yeah. They thought that, you know... It just you know what maybe it wasn't their vision, uh, and we didn't we had kind of a you know a different different view of how it should go down, and so I just said you know as as in so many things I'm not going to bang my head against the wall you yeah. know I, you know I, we had a great run we we put on three or four amazing concerts mm-hmm. and someday I think we're going to come back but what we're doing which is kind of a, a really a spinoff from the from that festival is that this summer in Aspen we're doing a big fundraiser with Emmy Lou Harris. Sean Colvin and myself. Oh, cool! Uh, for, for the Aspen Animal Shelter and for Emmy Lou Harris has a, a dog rescue in Nashville called Bonaparte's Retreat. Okay. So we're going to do a, a huge benefit for uh, both these organizations and hopefully raise a lot of money and awareness for uh, you know animals and and uh, you know it, it's just a, it's a cool thing to do. My wife is very proactive in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's on the board of directors and and so you know we'll do that. And I, I would much rather do a show like that and if it's for a good cause. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Hey, John, earlier in the show, we talked about your collaboration with Hot Shell Ray on a track called High Maintenance. And I want to pause for a second and let's check it out. You can dish it out, but you just can't take it. Oh, no. Unless we're talking about all the money I'm making Oh yeah You said to fall in love was all you needed Since when are you so Figure out why we're spending more than we're saving mm-hmm. Life seemed a lot more fun When love was all we were making You said to fall in love was all you needed Since when are you so Just love, 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 love. 
Hey, John, you're headed on the road again with Daryl um, in May for a short run here in the States, but also taking it to, to the U.K. So having performed so many years with, with, with him, you know, how, what do you do to change these things up a little bit? How do you keep the shows fresh as you get out on the road again with, uh, for your fans? Well, first of all, we have an incredible band, and the band keeps it fresh. They, they're they're unbelievably inspiring to play with. They they really bring it. There's a lot of energy and a lot of incredible musicianship. Mm-hmm. That alone is is worth getting on stage for. Um, but what you know, we have a really great great problem. We have too many hits, and <laughs> you know, the audience comes. The audience comes to hear those those songs, right. and we have. You know, we have to be respectful as performers, yeah. as professionals. We have to be respectful of our audience, and we have to play the songs they want to hear. But at the same time, we like to play a lot of the deep cuts and album tracks that we think are really cool music. Right, right. So little, little by little, over the course of a concert and, and over the course of a tour, we'll change those songs. You know, so we'll add a, songs from Van Lynchenette and from Along the Red Ledge, and songs yeah. that maybe aren't quite so familiar, mm-hmm. um, but but we really think they're good and valid musically. So we insert those songs along the way. So you know it's cool. It's just a cool thing to do, um, and for us it keeps us fresh. And every night we change those songs, but the core of the set remains pretty much the same. Yeah. yeah. Elliot Lewis is one of your band members, right? Yeah, he's playing keyboards and singing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, when you guys come here to Indianapolis in May, I think he's doing a show at a, a really cool little uh, blues club here the night before. Yeah, he he always does that. Yeah. Um, Elliot's, uh, Elliot's very, very cool that way. He'll just show up, and he does a one-man show that's really quite amazing. I've, I've played with him a few times on that show. So, uh, that's cool. It's one of those things, you know, it's, he, he's just great. Every, every guy in our band could be the leader of their own band. They really are that good. Yeah. Um, Singing-wise, playing-wise, whatever, you know. So uh, it's, it's an incredible, like I said in the beginning of this, this bit, is that they're an incredible group to play with, uh, very, very talented. Well, John, it's been great catching up with you here for the past 20, 25 minutes. Um, we wish we had more time, but we've got to run as well. But thanks so much for being on Inside Music Cast, Absolutely, and we'll certainly keep sure. up with you. Yeah, man. Thanks, thanks for having me. All right. Take care, John. Take care. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. See you. Special thanks to John Oates for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Six men gonna lay you down. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Max Zape, Mikhail Ingstrom, Uwe Reith, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, and Mats Unilon for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For information about becoming a sponsor and sharing your message with thousands of music fans around the world, please visit InsideMusicCast.com for contact information. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Six men.